if you like sitting in, in your office for countless hours and really having to earn your way and, and go through that kind of rejection and marginalization that so many female attorneys have to go through, that's definitely trauma. You are more than a lawyer. You are a powerhouse. Welcome to Powerhouse Lawyers. I'm your host, Erin Gurner, a former lawyer, wife, mom, entrepreneur, and coach. And I'm here to show you what's possible. So if you're ready, let's go. Hey, powerhouses. Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited that you are here. This week, we are talking about our inner child and healing trauma. And you may have just inserted an eye roll and we're like, Erin, what are we getting into this week? Is this a psychotherapy session? Well, it's not a psychotherapy session, but I do have a lovely psychotherapist coming on to talk about trauma and healing. But the reason why it's important and the reason why I want to bring this to you guys and the reason why I'm even thinking about it in myself is because there are past versions of us that have had things happen to us, trauma, big T, little T traumas that are literally affecting the way you are currently showing up in the world. You may not think that. You may not think that anything from your past has anything to do with your present, but the body doesn't forget. Your mind doesn't forget all of those things that happened in the past. And oftentimes roadblocks, you being stuck, trouble in relationships, trouble in finances, all kinds of things in your life that feel unaligned are more than likely directly tied back to experiences that you had as a child and that you haven't yet healed. But the great news is, is that there are so many tools to be able to do that. And as high achieving women, I think a lot of us are like, well, nothing really bad happened to me. I mean, I'm fine. I've got all this. I've got a great job. I've got a great education. I've got a husband and kids and all, and all this stuff. There's nothing quote unquote wrong with my life from the outside. But the problem is it doesn't feel good on the inside. There's something off and that is the unhealed trauma inside of us. And so my next guest is an absolute ninja at this. She has been working with high achieving women. In fact, she almost went to law school herself. So she kind of knew what she was getting into and then decided she was going to go the psychotherapist route. But I really think this is a very great episode for all of you powerhouse lawyers, all of our high achieving selves. This is really a great way to reflect and to just another level of self-improvement as you are going to the next level in your life. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody. Hi, powerhouses. Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to introduce you to our next guest. I have been dying to have her on the show. And here she is to share all of her brilliance with us. Amy Van Slambrook is a psychotherapist, strategist, and transformational coach for world-changing women who want to change their inner worlds. She helps high-profile, mission-minded women and couple CEO entrepreneurs and leaders to reclaim and elevate into the next level versions of themselves in their relationships, business, and life by doing deep healing and transformation at the soul, mind, and body levels. 
I love this. She is known as the CEO Safe Space and has been known as that the majority of her career, both as a corporate executive and in her transformational work with clients. As a trauma relationship and leadership expert with 30 years of professional and personal experience, Amy uses the fuel of nearly losing her life because of the impact of unhealed trauma to blend therapy coaching, and leadership strategy to create a rare experience of transformation and healing. She is no doubt a sought-after speaker. She's a published author. She's a frequent podcast guest. She has her own podcast called The Elevated Podcast, and she is also a strong lover of Christ, and her entire business is spirit-filled with faith, and I am just so thrilled and honored to have her on the show. Amy, welcome to Powerhouse Lawyers. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Erin. I am absolutely thrilled to be here. I adore you. And I'm just, I can't believe this is the first time we're actually connecting because our hearts have been connected for so long. So thank you so much. It's great to be here. Oh my gosh. I feel the exact same way about you. We do have a deep soul connection. That Mm -hmm. is the truth. So that was a great Reader's Digest version of Amy all summed up, but I would love for you to kind of take us back to the beginning of your journey. How did this work start? How did you get into this work? And um, how did you evolve into helping these high-profile clients with this transformational healing that you do with them? Well, absolutely, Erin. You know, what's interesting is I was listening to some of the episodes of, of your great podcast and really thinking about my own journey. I really was on the track to be an attorney. And um, I was, you know, going through all of those conversations we have early in our lives when we're in that precipice of ending high school and starting um, college. And I was really exploring my gifts, you know, and what I wanted to be able to do in the world. And so much of it had to do with giving a giving a woman, giving people a voice, defending them. I'm an Enneagram 8 you know, definitely, admittedly so. And so it was really looking at the intersection of those skills. And what's interesting and what I hope your audience can hear is that there's a lot of overlap. You know, so much of what we do is to advocate for the people who cannot advocate for themselves. And I didn't realize how much I needed that to do for myself. Um, And so I embarked on the journey to get my degree in psychology while also really thinking about, you know, going to law school afterwards, got married um, to my college sweetheart um, early on. And so I, I got married before I finished college. So I just went on the track to become a therapist, but then fell into, you know, supporting him on his journey. And I put everything aside for him. We went through a divorce. Um, shortly after we were married. And so I continued on my track. Um, But I was always working right in the corporate realm. And that evolved into a much larger career until um, I was working myself so hard and so long and at such a high speed um, that I didn't even realize how close to losing my life I really was. Um, I was behind the scenes fighting a battle with eating, an eating disorder, anorexia, um, perfectionist, recovering always, right? I was the valedictorian. I was the one people sought after if they needed any kind of defense. Um, But I was also the one with the listening ear for people's feelings and what they were navigating. And I was the one when I when I talk about becoming the CEO safe space, I was the one who would talk to the the really... um, you know, exceptionally talented 
athletes, even some teachers. And I was the one people would feel comfortable sharing their deepest um, feelings and, and dilemmas with. Um, but I didn't have anybody to do that for me. And so at the age of 28, I was uh, getting on the scale to do um, what I did sometimes before my, my morning run, and that was to weigh myself. And I realized I weighed what I did when I was nine. And at that moment in my life, Erin, you know, I was um, really grappling with my identity. I was running as far away from God as I could possibly run. I was isolated from my family, really trying to figure out my life, was in a relationship, um, but it was transcontinental, which some of my relationships were nice and distant, right? Um, And something in that moment woke me up. And even though I was working in the corporate realm, when I realized at that moment, I had to choose whether to continue to go down the path I was going, but really choose life. And I chose life. I knew at that moment, I wanted to make a difference for other women struggling in the areas I was. I just didn't realize how trauma had factored into all of that. And so I found a beautiful therapist who really helped me to understand and embrace a word that I had always felt very distant from. Like, well, trauma was what other people had. Right. And and I did not even want to think about going down the road, road of exploring my inner child. Um, but she reawakened the desire inside of me to really, really become such an exceptional voice and a, and a safe space for people in the role of psychotherapist. And she helped me gain enough confidence back, Erin to be able to think about going to graduate school. I had been in so many abusive relationships emotionally and felt so, so defeated, I think, inside that I I didn't even think I wanted to approach graduate school. Now, this was after like I was on the Harvard Law Track. That's where I was going after high school. Yeah. So hence my my foray into getting my master's um, and a lot of post graduate school training and um, really embarking on my career as a psychotherapist. And, and that started about five years after that. I, I went full time while also working my corporate job full time, which is a whole other story. Yeah, <laughs> that was a recipe for burnout on, a, on another level. So. <laughs> the high achievers mix of mixed cocktail. That's what yeah. <laughs> that's what yes. I call it. Exactly. Taking all the things on at one time. So you talk a lot about this unhealed trauma and the inner child. And I resonate with what you say about, well, there's no trauma in my life. Like I, I think back, I'm like, nothing wildly traumatic happened to me. Like I know or am associated with other people who have had terribly tragic and traumatic things mm-hmm. happen to them. So I, I've, I resonate with how you're feeling. Like I felt so distant from that and the inner child. And I remember hearing that word and thinking, what is that? And like, why does that matter? So I would love for you to talk to our listeners about what trauma really is, um, what that means, and talking about this inner child and why it's so important to recognize and start to heal that trauma. Right. That was kind of well, a lot of questions in one. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Bring all the questions. I <laughs> I will try to hit every every succinct point. 
Um, but I, you know, what's interesting that I've found is that after 2020, you know, the big 2020, now we are much more comfortable using the word trauma. And everybody, in fact, seems to be embracing trauma on some level. You know, it's become, and I, I, I am excited about that and yet very cautious because it needs to be handled by people who really know what they're doing, who really have done the diligence because trauma interrupts the emotional experience for um, a person of any age. It doesn't have to happen in childhood. A lot of it can happen in adulthood. And there are what, what are called little T traumas and big T traumas. Little T traumas do interrupt our emotional experience. They make us feel violated. Um, they cause kind of a shock and a step back from our lives and, and really um, cause a level of insecurity in, in the, the predictability of our environment, if that makes any sense. So it can be something as, as minor as a move, you know, after living in a home for many, many years, you know. Or it can be something like um, some really harsh criticism at school that wouldn't be necessarily considered emotionally abusive, but it definitely was a violation. You know, those are more minor traumas. Um, more major traumas are things like sexual, emotional, physical abuse. Um, of course, war, any kind of combat, natural disasters. Um, the pandemic was a major trauma. So. Anybody who experienced or went through the pandemic, you have experienced a, a big T trauma because it interrupted our ability to um, experience the world as we were used to, made us feel violated, right? And shook us to the core in ways we didn't even know that we needed. So we did things that were, quote unquote, logical in our mind. That was our inner child trying to keep us safe by buying more toilet paper than we ever thought that we would need, right? And stocking up on supplies in case the world ended and we needed to live on dehydrated beef for about two years, you know, and we were doing whatever we could to survive. And in fact, even the, the masks that people were wearing, what that did to the brain is it appealed to a, a portion of the brain called the amygdala, which doesn't have a timestamp. It's very raw but it also puts us in a warrior stance. So we were in a warrior stance just in terms of how we're physiologically built, even in the grocery store. If you found yourself getting like, why am I you know, really wanting to tear it up with people when I'm just buying milk, right? You know, And it, it really had to do with what was happening to our brains because we are so conditioned to be in a warring stance, right? And so when I address trauma with women who have achieved a great deal in their professional and personal lives, it almost becomes um, an admission of failure on a certain level that we went through, I went through trauma. Well, is it really trauma? Like we're appearing weak. And I think especially with women who are used to having to be in roles of leadership and authority like all of you amazing powerhouse warriors, it can feel like we are admitting a loss and a defeat. And that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. 
it's the first power move that women get to make is to own the level of trauma that they have experienced in their life um, because it has colored everything about your life. And that's what I discovered. And like, why on the outside do I have a great career? People, you know, I was fit. I was always in that mode of improving and developing and wanting to live at my fullest potential. And behind the scenes, I was feeling exhausted. I was working more hours than anybody should. I was in relationships that were not necessarily healthy. They were destructive. And I thought this doesn't, there's no congruence here. Um, And I know a lot of women who are in the law profession are enduring that, whether it's enduring, um, you know, a, a work environment where they are not appreciated, they are minimized, they are treated almost like slave labor. Let's be honest, that was part of why I kind of chose psychotherapy instead of the law because I talked to a lot of lawyers and they're like, Amy, it is Good not. <laughs> oh my gosh. They're like, if you like sitting in, in your office for countless hours and really having to earn your way um, and, and go through that kind of rejection um, and marginalization that so many female attorneys have to go through. That's, definitely trauma that interrupts your sense of um, aliveness and your sense of worth on the planet. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Because I really think that that what you just said is so crucial for female lawyers to hear coupled with what you said that we feel like admitting these traumas are somehow a failure and making us look weak and vulnerable. But I don't think that we are aware that what we experience even later in life in the workplace is a trauma that needs to be healed. Why do you think that happens to us more? Like, I feel like this happens a lot with overachieving women. Like, this is this is a common thread. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love your passion and fire for this, Erin, because I think if we don't have these conversations as women, it's never going to change. But You know, what's interesting is even the way um, graduate school sets up attorneys, sets up high achieving women in other fields as well. It's almost a little bit like grooming, right? We are conditioned to say, oh, this is normal. It's normal for you to feel like you are the bottom of the barrel. You can you have to do whatever they ask because you're trying to earn your way into whatever position is going to secure your future with that firm or with that company, and, and we're taught to expect that as normal. And, and I've never actually realized this until this moment, but that's actually a grooming behavior. When an abuser wants to put a, put a woman in a position of being able to abuse her, they weaken her by setting her expectations lower. They isolate her from everything that gives her strength. Think about the ways this has happened in our careers, ladies. And then they start to, with micro criticisms, start to um, deconstruct her sense of worthiness. They point out flaws she never may have noticed or may really not have, but they point them out as flaws. Um, There's a higher bar for how you have to be um, deemed worthy. You have to meet these criteria, most of which are almost inhumane. Um, if you really want to attain that. And the, and the currency 
the, the, the currency of worthiness, of course, is your hours in your ability to work and not have a life, sacrificing everything about your health, your family life. And yet on the other side of that, the way it becomes a worthiness question is that process early on in graduate school said, now, if you deviate, this means that that you maybe aren't cut out for this, which then, of course, immediately threatens our sense of, am I worth this? Our worthiness is based on achievement. It's based on accolades. It's based on our salaries. It's based on your position and title within the firm. That is what defines what is worthy in in most high achieving women's professions, right? And and it's about the image. You're supposed to look like you have an amazing family, but don't plan on spending any time with them. And if you want to, we're going to look down on you like, you know, she needs to nurse. Why why is that really an essential activity. Um, And so I think that it's looking at that and really saying, how do we climb out of that hole? Right? Because it's reconditioning the brain to say, no, what they taught you to expect was really wrong in the first place. Just like I have worked with so many women in abusive situations or abusive work situations, some of which in, in firms and help them to see how they have been um, conditioned to set their worthiness on a pedestal that they never were meant to attain. That's not how God defines our worthiness. And so that admission then becomes less of a threat and more of accepting who they really are, which is, I believe, what one of your last episodes was on, Erin, which was so powerful. Yeah. Does that help? It really does. And Amy, as I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm thinking back about the young Aaron. And I've ne- and really until this conversation, I have never viewed this experience as a trauma. But it honestly, this is like a light bulb for me moment, like on this on this podcast right now, very well, actually, the very first job that I had out of law school, I was still in law school it was like in between my two and three L year. I worked for this man and he literally, Amy, would stand over my desk every single day and scream at me and tell me that I was stupid, that I was worthless, that I was never going to make a good lawyer. I mean, it was like a straight on, like verbally abusive situation. Now, the sick part is, is that I stayed there for a decent amount of time because I thought that was normal and that Mm -hmm. I thought that this is what I had to do to like make it in the legal profession. I finally ended up just legit sliding a door or a note underneath his door and got in my car with my purse and drove away. I've never in my life done anything like that before or since, but like just get away from the situation that really, when I think about all of the healing that I have done in my journey to be able to serve the powerhouse women that I have been serving, I knew it was the younger lawyer version of Aaron, but it really is that woman that sat behind that desk at that job and was literally verbally abused. Do you know what I mean? That is that is the trauma. And I never recognized it as such. So first of all, thank you for shining light on that for me, because that was really a moment of clarity. <laughs> but second of all, I would love for you to expand. So now we know these traumas. We're recognizing them, big T, little t. How do we start to heal them? Talk to us a little bit about the inner child, 
Who is she? And mm-hmm. what kind of love does she need for um, from us? Can you just expand on that a little bit? Because some listeners might be being like the inner child, like who the heck is she? So <laughs> let's talk about her for a little bit. Oh, absolutely, Erin. And actually, this is a perfect segue to um, to also address what came up for me when you shared that so beautifully and powerfully. And it was something I went through too. So I want to reassure any listeners, if you're starting to kind of recalibrate and reevaluate the way you categorize certain experiences, that's normal. Because part of what trauma does is the brain kind of um, numbs itself to the gravity of something, right? And so this is all getting to answer your question, but um, it cuts off the blood flow to the brain. So we don't have language. Literally, we don't have words to express what we're going through. And our brain kind of treats it as normal. It's almost like a silent movie. And every woman and man who I've encountered to, to help them heal through this says, well, of course that happened, but that isn't really trauma. I mean, it's not as bad as fill in the blank, right? And so we see it as a silent film. So even though I had gone through sexual abuse very early on in life outside of my home, my brain had translated that as any other memory. Like, well, of course that happened, but I was probably to blame in some way, shape or form. There was no emotion. I would say it with the same emotion as, you know, I just spoke on a podcast, you know, it was just flat until my eyes were opened. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was so not normal. That was so abusive. That was so traumatic, just as you did. And and it's at that moment that we know our souls are ready to heal at another level. And and that kind of numbing and that that way of normalizing the completely abnormal is a function of the inner child. The inner child is both the wisest voice inside of you. And I believe it's where we meet God often. It's that innocent, pure, ready to take on the world part of you. She's also the part of you who is like, I'm scared. That wounded inner child is like, I'm going to do everything I can to keep you safe. And maybe that's working a hundred hours a week. Maybe that's not sleeping. Maybe that's not doing normal, healthy functions like eating or using the ladies room during the day for hours on end because we don't want to appear weak to our male counterparts who don't need to do those things as often as we may need to, right? Any other ladies or entrepreneurial ladies who can relate, right? It's like, oh, when did I eat last, right? We don't remember. And so the inner child becomes this beautiful mouthpiece you know, and this this conduit to understanding the deeper experience and also being able to access the subconscious um, and understand the hidden beliefs and messages that are behind the behaviors that are causing you to live incongruently with who you really are. Wow. Okay. So how can not addressing these traumas and healing your inner child affect you going forward in your performance and in your job? Because all of this is like, okay, well, maybe something happened and, you know, I've got this inner child maybe who's trying to like show up and run the show, but I'm not really sure I'm fully on board with what you're Mm -hmm. saying right now. Mm -hmm. Can you talk us through how this presents and manifests itself in your life um, unhealed? Well, um, you know, it's not subtle. 
That's the first thing. It, it isn't subtle. It may feel normal and like the way you've always done things, just like you and I have talked about our perfectionism, right, Aaron? I mean, that that is an inner child behavior. Um, it causes chronic health issues. This was particularly um, poignantly proven in what's called the ACEs study, which is the Adverse Childhood Experiences study. It was one of the largest studies actually of obesity um, looking at diabetes, which actually found that the overwhelming majority of people who suffered with obese, obesity and type 2 diabetes actually had traumatic childhood experiences. And so there's a scale. So it causes chronic health issues, whether it's migraines, digestive issues, autoimmune issues, chronic fatigue, things that doctors will kind of look at you and say, well, I don't know, it's probably just just stress right? Try to work less, try to sleep more, try to eat more healthfully, right? All the things that we already know. Um, it, it emerges with having poor boundaries around our time, around the relationships and the people we allow in. You're constantly pouring into everybody around you, but you don't have anybody pouring into you. You are a savior of many, but you don't have a savior of yourself. Um, you overwork, you are hydroplaning through your life. And I'm saying this as somebody who lived it for several decades. So I'm not preaching saying, but I did it so differently because I didn't. God kind of ran me, had to <laughs> allow me to run into a brick wall about 20 times for me to finally get it. Um, it will show up in your earnings and your income where everybody else is earning much more. You keep hitting a ceiling. Um, using your voice at work. You'll want to say something, but you'll feel like you have masking tape over your mouth and you can't quite get the words out. You can't quite find your words. Relationship issues at home. Um, everything seems okay, but behind closed doors, you're crying late at night because you feel so distant from the person that you are meant to share your life with. You may feel numb and disconnected in your home life because it's so hard to transition from being, you know, the powerhouse lawyer to being a powerhouse mom and then sultry powerhouse wife, right? It's a it's a whole different dynamic. So I does that help? Yes. Because I feel like so many of our listeners will resonate with a lot of the things that you just mentioned. And so if they did how can we start in small ways to start to get on the healing journey? Because it probably might sound overwhelming to someone. Maybe they're listening to this podcast and they've had a revelation and they're like, wow, that really was like a big trauma. And it is absolutely in my inner child and all of this unhealed business is really affecting in a negative way, the way I'm showing up in the world, the way I'm treating the people that I love, the way I'm showing up at my job, my bank account, every my spiritual journey with God, whatever it is, everything feels out of alignment. But oh my God, now what? I've, I've, I'm however many, you know, I'm 43 years old, like, oh my God, have I done so much damage and now there's no going back. But I always preach small changes over time. And I have a feeling that starting to heal your inner child is baby steps. So I'd love if you would start to walk us through a little bit of this healing journey for our listeners. Absolutely. It's, I so appreciate that because we do, we're kind of, I mean, we do everything to the nth degree, right? So it's not like, okay, now I've got to go 
go into healing work for the next year and I'm going to have to stop right. my life to do it or I don't have to do anything at all, right? I mean, it's not either or. That's another inner child behavior, black and white thinking. You know, I'm still recovering out of it, but here's what you can do just every day. There's a simple question, what am I feeling right now? What am I needing right now? It, it doesn't require any external anything. You can ask it at your desk. What am I needing right now? And that reconnects your brain to your body and it reconnects you to your experience of your life. One of the hardest things to do is to what I call get quiet with your life because we actually start to face what we have created behind the scenes. And so we don't have to do that in an overwhelming way. And if you want to do healing work, it doesn't mean that you can't have the career and everything else that you've built up. You know, I am, I am trained. I am vehemently protective of my client's ability to have the success in their career while we're doing healing work. And I would be a failure in my work if I didn't equip women to do the healing work and to maintain their lives. And the right person will be able to do that for you at the right time. But in the meantime, that question of what do I need? Another question, what am I feeling? Those will start to help you connect. And then whatever comes up, whether it's, oh, I'm hungry, or I just really need to have a good cry. It's honoring that because it's going to start to affirm for that inner child, oh, wait, I'm not ignored. I'm, I'm here. I'm healed. I'm heard. And, and it's a step towards healing because up until now, numbing has likely been the way that you've, you've dealt with things, except when you can't take it anymore. And then you kind of, we have those breakdown moments, right? Where we're sobbing in any, any room with indoor plumbing, I say, is a room, a woman cries in kitchen, bathroom, near the bathtub, it's like I closed the bathroom door and I just lost it, right? Because it's privacy. Um, but it is about understanding that. Um, and I'm going to give another couple of, of quick tools that people can use, right? And there, there are four questions. If you feel yourself being triggered, whether that's an anxiety attack, a panic attack, which can feel like your body goes icy um, and, and you don't know what's happening. You just don't feel like yourself. You can't breathe. Um, those are all markers of anxiety, but there are really quick ways you can get yourself out of that until you're ready to do some deeper work. And there are these four questions, Erin, and, and hopefully we can put them in the show notes and I can connect people to free resources. Um, what am I feeling right now? The next question is, when have I felt this way before? Because if that feeling doesn't match the current circumstance, your brain is going back to the past. The third was, what did I need in that moment? As simple as it might have been, I just need a hug. And then the fourth is, how can I get that for myself now? So if that is asking your friend, your husband to, to give you a hug, or whether it's hugging yourself, which sounds really weird. And I, I rolled my eyes too, as I'm sure most of your listeners or viewers have just done, like I just did, like, oh, okay, that, Amy, that just sent me over the edge. Uh, I'm not going to hug myself. But it actually works. 
and, and nobody has to see you do it. You know, putting your arms around your own arms physiologically calms the body. It feels really just comforting. You get the benefit of your own hugs. So those four questions are really easy to diffuse any kind of trigger, even if it's in an argument with a spouse or family member. Gosh, those are hugely helpful and so very simple. And I just, Mm -hmm. I really feel like that is something that everyone can take and implement into their daily life and -hmm. just starting to listen to themselves. It really is just like you said, quieting your mind long enough to think and to feel and to understand. And and these type things were just running, we're running so fast all the time. And, but I would love to know on the flip side of that, people are, you know, on a self-discovery journey on personal development or whatever. And they're like, whatever about the inner child, you know, like they, they haven't quite, quite healed. What are, what are the negative aspects of being on a quote unquote journey, or you're trying to level up your life, but you're ignoring this part? What, what are the consequences of that? And what is crucial? What are you crucially missing? Right, exactly. Because a lot of self-development gurus will preach, you don't have to go into your past. It's the past. It's not going to affect your future. The problem is that your body and literally your body, your physiology and your brain is built on the building blocks of your past. So if you can't get above a certain threshold, if you keep hitting the same patterns over and over again, and you can't figure it out. So you go to another person and they've got their strategy. You don't go to another guru. You go to another weekend retreat. Why do I keep hitting the same block? Why does it keep coming up? You will feel better for about a week or two, maybe even a month using their 12 steps to fix your whole life. And, you know, it's, it's painless and it's instantaneous. It will keep reemerging. Your soul will not allow you to escape the wounds that you refuse to heal. It will keep giving you an opportunity to fix those. And it is so costly to keep shoving down something because that speaks to fear. And I say anything that you don't face or you won't face or you think is irrelevant is actually something that you are likely afraid of on some level. And I know that that isn't a popular way to think for a lot of these gurus, but I will bet you any amount of money those gurus have not done their own trauma work. Um, Someone like a Tony Robbins has done a lot of deep trauma work. That's why he can do what he does so quickly. What happens, unfortunately, after a lot of those events is you are up here on an adrenaline high and all of the highs of all of the pleasant neurochemicals. But what happens for a lot of people is that when they don't put structures and scaffolding in place to integrate it, it falls away quickly. So those thousands of dollars you just invested and your own emotional Um, capital in believing this so strongly gets damaged every time you don't fulfill on what you learned. And it, it shows up in your relationships. There's no way a marriage can escape unhealed childhood wounds. And the inner child is what I believe to be the only way to really dive deeply enough to access the subconscious and rewire all of those pieces. My clients, and this is not an ego statement. 
I am blessed to do the work that I do. They say, I feel alive in ways I didn't even know I was dead. And these are women with, you know, million dollar companies. It's, they had achieved a lot. People would say they certainly feel alive, but they didn't realize the ways they weren't alive, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. And it just goes back to what you were talking about, how we numb so Mm -hmm. much and um, just become conditioned to how things are instead of actually feeling into how things, you know, we want things to be and deconditioning all of the things that we hear all of the time. Amy, this has been so enlightening. I mean, I have been over here taking notes. (laughs) Like I have got all this stuff. I know that our listeners are going to be just so impacted by this. Are there some resources that you could recommend or um, obviously we want to get in contact with you um, and we can put these resources in the show notes too, but is there something you would, or some things that you would recommend, maybe literature stuff to our listeners that they could go out and um, start digging into? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have a few books that I'll recommend. Um, And I think it's just honoring whichever appeals to you, whichever is a draw. This isn't like you need to feel badly because you're not reading this book. Um, The Body Keeps the Score is a bit of a trauma Bible. Um, It is one of my favorite, favorite works um, by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who I mentored under. It is it is it is a read. It is a deep read. So that might not be the book you want to start with. But that is a book that you will likely want to digest in small pieces. It gives a it gives a picture of trauma that I've never heard given before. If you are feeling a level of weariness and burnout, there's a book called Resilience by John Eldridge. Um, really, really incredible book. That's a faith based book for any of you who are faith based. Um, but he gives one of the most beautiful descriptions of how the inner child shows up in things like money wounds and our overworking. I think one of the latest books that I know is just beautiful. I've not read it yet, but I know her and I know her work is uh, The Garden Within by Dr. Anita Phillips. Um, And that is a recent release. I will be releasing um, an ebook coming out and and hopefully we'll have that in time. We will have it in time. For your for your listeners to be able to access that, and that's really finding uh, the abundance within you, and and how that is um, tied to your inner child wounds, and so um, any of those I think would be great for the listeners. And also, I want to direct you to an an app that's called Soak S O A A K, and I have, I have an inner child healing program on there that's 21 days. And um, I have a I have a discount code. That I oh can my gosh, get. that's great. We'll drop that in the show notes. I love Soak. I listen to it all the time. I swear by that. Um, that's probably like the only $30 download I'll ever <laughs> like $30 monthly subscription on an app that I'll pay for truly because I'm like, is this really thing working, but it really is awesome. So that is so great. I didn't know that you had that on there. So I'll have to check that out myself. Yes. And the discount code is Amy70. So you can get 70% off your subscription there. So. Oh my gosh. I love that. The listeners will love that too. Y'all definitely have to check out, check that out. I'll drop all of this information in the show notes, 
But since we're talking about our inner child and she loves to have fun and dance and sing and like do all these fun stuff, let's talk about Legally Blonde moments, shall we? We love it. I love it. I love this. We got to laugh at ourselves before we end this podcast because again, as over, like I said before we started, as overachievers, we just beat ourselves up for not being perfect all the time. And sometimes you just do something funny and it's way more effective and fun to laugh and to just move on. So Amy, I would love if you would share a Legally Blonde moment with us. Oh my gosh. And I told you, Erin, before we went live, I said, I have so many, it's going to be hard to choose from, you know, and the other thing that we didn't get to cover here is a lot of really high achieving women, lawyers, psychotherapists, all of the, there's a, there's a hidden battle with ADHD. So that drives a lot of, of legally blonde moments. Um, so anyway, I will share one that happened ra- rather recently. As I mentioned, I'm going through a job replacement. And so at 51, I'm getting to experience braces, which is like having an obstacle course in your mouth all the time. Um, and so I do phone sessions with my clients and I had gotten new brackets and I didn't put my wax on, right? And for anybody who hasn't worn braces, if you don't, it tends to cut your, your cheeks And so I was in this deep, deep session and my braces caught my cheek and all of a sudden I started to bleed all in my mouth. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm trying to navigate this conversation because that is sacred to me. And I remembered I had done work done before and we put a tea bag on it. So because it kind of, it, it's a vasoconstrictor, so it stops blood flow. Of course, I didn't realize in my legally blonde moment that, of course, if the braces cut my cheek, they would also cut the tea bag. And so I put the tea bag in my cheek, and of course, then my braces cut the tea bag inside my mouth. So now my mouth is full of tea leaves that are bloody, and I'm trying to navigate this very. Um, <laughs> tender moment with this client while I'm not trying to laugh at myself that I have now just covered my whole mouth with tea leaves while I am bleeding from these cuts from my faces. So I tried to gracefully because of course, even though they can't see me, my perfectionist says you still have to look good while you're doing this. So I tried to delicately and gracefully extract all of that beautiful tea and and everything else out of my mouth. And I managed to do that without revealing to my client until at the very end. And we both heartily laughed about it, what I had just done. So not so brilliantly um, with my, with my medical intervention. Hence, I did not go to medical school because well, yes, your commitment exactly. to that call, I have to say, like, as from a client standpoint, your commitment to staying dedicated to the moment was, that was huge. I mean, really like tea leaves, blood. I mean, like that is a whole hot mess going on in there and you're trying to talk and listen and feel. So I just commend you for staying in the moment. And that is actually multitasking at its best, you know, like well done. Well done. Thank you. Learning Thank you. new yeah. things all the time. No exactly. tea bags. No. With the braces. No. They do work, but just not with braces. Just not with braces. Okay. Well, that's good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Amy, again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Where can everybody find you? 
Well, I am on Instagram. That's the easiest and best place to find me. I am the person in my DMs at Amy Van Slambrook on Instagram, and that'll have my website link and all the links to find me. And I would love to hear from any of you. So drop me a DM um, and I would love to connect. Thank you, Erin. You are a treasure and I treasure your audience. Um, and I am here. I am here to support. You are already powerhouses in every way, shape or form. Oh, Amy, we love you so much. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate you more than you know. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you so much for listening into the Powerhouse Lawyers podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you loved this episode, I would be so honored if you left a review. And because I know you are the type of woman who wants to see other women win, be sure to share this episode with someone who needs it. By sharing it, you are empowering a fellow sister in the law to know that she is not alone, that there is nothing wrong with her, and that she can build a life and career that she loves. Thank you. See you next week.